Uh, welcome to this podcast uh, on the monetization of open banking APIs. In this podcast, we will be talking about the work that Mobiform's Open Banking Expert Group has been doing uh, in trying to answer the question of um, how can open banking APIs be monetized. Um, this work has taken um, a year or so, um, so it's been going on uh, since last year. Uh, and in this podcast, we'll hear about what the sometimes quite surprising findings and conclusions that the group has reached have been and how, how they have arrived at those. Uh, my name is Elena Mastela and I'm the Executive Director of Mobile Forum. A quick word about Mobile Forum and our expert group before we start to give a little bit of context. Uh, so Mobile Forum is a not-for-profit member-based industry association. We are a knowledge and networking platform that focuses on emerging technologies and business models in digital financial services. Our expert groups bring together like-minded practitioners from our member organizations. They help members find clarity through discussions between practitioners who are solving similar questions and challenges within their own organizations often resulting in content that you cannot Google. I'm joined here by the co-chairs of the Open Banking Expert Group, um, Mark Falk. Hello, Mark. Hi, Elena. How's it going? Good, thank you. Uh, now, Mark has been a co-chair of the Mobile Forum Open Banking Expert Group for about two years and joins us from Canada, bringing deep expertise in data, product innovation and open banking. Uh, we also have here Christian Sorensen from Norfico. Hello, Christian. Hi, Alina. Christian is uh, also co-chair of the working group uh, and a mobile forum veteran. Christian is a strategic consultant based in the Nordics, and he has worked with players across the entire value chain of open banking. Uh, other participants in the expert group who have contributed to the insights that Mark and Christian will be sharing come from organizations such as Este Bank, Nordea, ING, Raiffeisen Bank International, TD, uh, DMB, and many others. Now I'll give the word to Christian uh, and Mark, um, and they will uh, talk about how we landed on this topic, what the approach uh, we took was, and, and um, some of the key conclusions that we came to in the group. Thank you, Alina. And, um, and, and maybe just to pick up on your words about the, the expert group. And for those unfamiliar with the expert group's work in Mo the Mobile Forum, it's important to highlight that it's it's a group consisting of experts, not just the just the, the, the chairpersons hosting the group, but the, the actual participants in the group. So, it, and the way that we work in Mobile is that we work for the members and, and by the members. So in what we started out doing with the expert group was actually to, to try to identify the most burning questions among the, the group's participants. And since they were all practitioners in their uh, various organizations, it became rather quickly clear that, that the most burning question was, how do we actually monetize open banking? It was not uh, how does the API works, uh, what are the regulations? All of those things seem to have been more or less uh, in place in, in all of the organizations. So, so now we are moving to a more practical approach of how do we actually monetize and build new business models uh, on top of these uh, APIs. And, and to, to answer those questions, uh, we, uh, we both had some some ongoing discussions in the work group based on news from the industry 
interesting business cases uh, were discussed. And we also invited uh, a number of uh, guest speakers uh, to help us understand the landscape around these APIs. I think uh, worth highlighting is uh, maybe, uh, first of all, we had the consensus who works with uh, helping banks uh, authenticate the third-party providers when they access their uh, the bank's APIs. And, and that position gives uh, consensus a rather interesting view of how uh, many TPPs are in the market because they monitor all of the registrations and approvals of TPPs, uh, third-party providers uh, across Europe. And um, through them, we got the insights on, on how big the market of TPPs across the different um, countries, uh, first of all, in, in Europe, uh, uh, how, how big the market uh, was. And we have seen growth across basically uh, every single country in, uh, in, in Europe. Of course, some stands out. Uh, the UK with the head start on open banking does also mean that, that they have seen the, the biggest number of uh, home TPPs. Uh, but uh, but even the smallest countries in, in Europe has seen uh, home TPPs and also seen the so-called passporting of these TPP licenses to also allow them to operate in, in other countries. Uh, in terms of actually addressing these TPPs from a bank perspective and actually uh, monetizing the or putting a price on the APIs towards these uh, TPPs, uh, we had an interesting conversation with a company called AYA, uh, at that point in time known as Nordic API Gateway, and now they are part of MasterCard. Uh, and the CEO and, and founder of, uh, of AYA had a very um, interesting uh, approach to this. And, and, and since they basically work uh, to practically connect the third parties with the banks, uh, they could uh, share uh, um, some insights into the actual willingness and the needs for these TPPs for uh, APIs beyond the, the simple compliance APIs. Um, then also a third guest that I would like to highlight uh, was uh, CEO and founder of OneBanks. Um, OneBanks is, is a very different uh, open banking initiative as it's actually physical uh, banking. Uh, OneBanks, they create uh, bank branches in uh, in remote uh, areas where bank branches have otherwise been closed because it has not been sustainable for the larger banks to uphold their presence in these smaller communities. But through open banking access, you could actually be a physical aggregator of banking services and thereby providing branch banking to uh, customers in, in more thinly populated uh, communities, uh, which was a very surprising and, and, and interesting uh, use case for, for open banking. And it also... Uh, I think uh, challenged our thoughts on open banking uh, beyond digital so that open banking could actually also apply to, to the physical world. I don't know, Mark, if, uh, if you have something to add in terms of, uh, of, of our guest speakers. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved how you brought up the example with OneBanks. And I think that that really segues very well into to some of the, the other stuff, which we'll, we'll obviously get to later on in the talk, but about how Open banking enables a lot more automation and efficient operation, and how the, this this one bank's aggregator, in addition to the the footprint considerations you were talking about, can be a real opportunity to be able to reduce overhead as that efficiency takes place and and reduces the amount of transactions going to a branch. Back to you. 
Yeah, yeah, good, very, very good point, and and thank you for that. And I think that that also um, it 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 fits very well into to to what we did next, where we where we try to to basically categorize the different types of monetization models that a bank could apply to their open banking strategy, because. Um, one thing is having, or at least from a European perspective, uh, where, where you have the compliance APIs that the banks have had to implement in order to be compliant, and, and they have had to make these APIs freely available uh, for third-party providers. But, but then you have the option of providing these uh, premium APIs. And, and that, uh, but one thing is creating a premium API, but you have to figure out who do you want to sell uh, access to uh, who, who do you want to? Who should be charged, uh, and and how should the pricing model be for these uh, for these kind of APIs? So basically, we 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 categorize the APIs into uh, yeah, obviously the free category, which for obvious reasons is uh, pretty hard to monetize. Then you have uh, APIs where where the actual consumer uh, pay for for the use. You have uh, the opportunity to have. Uh, the third-party providers paying for their use, or you could have some sort of revenue share a model where you partner up with third-party providers and, and basically split the, the revenue. And then, at least to me, somewhat surprising, and, and yet it turned out to be one of the most talked about uh, business model was the indirect business model, where, where you could actually monetize, not necessarily by selling access, but by increasing the efficiency improving uh, compliance pr procedures, making those more efficient, um, accelerating business development internally and such. I think we will return to, to, to these internal business models uh, in much greater detail a little later in, in, in this talk. But if we step back to, to, the, to the models where you, you either charge the consumers or the third-party providers, of course, you could uh, again, look into different models. Is it a freemium model uh, or is it a pay-as-you-go? Is it an ongoing subscription based on volume and so on and so forth? And I think that kind of categorization also helped uh, some of our uh, uh, colleagues and members in, in the group actually uh, doing some of the business modeling that they were required to do in, in, in their respective uh, organizations. I don't know, Mark, is there anything else to, to add in this overarching categorization? Uh, is there anything I forgot to, to mention? No, I, I think you covered uh, pretty much all of it. Um, and again, I, we'll, we'll probably talk a little more about it later, but with the indirect, uh, I think uh, building on your point about uh, how it ended up being talked about a lot, I, I, I sense that a lot of the, the interest was because it was so much lower risk than others. You don't need to yeah. deal with an external consultant or external customer. You don't need to figure out your marketing campaign or any of that. It's really you're your own customer and you control yeah. the pace of adoption and, and how quickly it goes. Yeah. And further to that point, doing those kind of initial business cases, internal business cases, would also uh, build the capacity and capabilities within the organization uh, for working with APIs, which again would prepare the organization to further expand their API strategy beyond uh, the simple compliance APIs. So, so in, in, in many ways, the internal cases uh, turned out to be uh, where many of the members uh, started to focus their in-house business development, uh, or at least so it seemed. 
But uh, maybe we should uh, should step uh, further to to how we actually uh, went one step deeper into the, the API and monetization. Uh, and and I'll, as you were the ones hosting uh, the the coming workshop or the upcoming workshops we had on uh, on on those topics, I'll hand over to you, Mark, to to take us through some of the process that was uh, basically designed for 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 this uh, working group. Thank you, Christian. Uh, one of the, the best things, uh, as Christian and Alina talked about earlier, one of the best things about Moby are really the discussions between the members. So we organized a set of facilitated brainstorms to combine all the insights that we collectively learned from the speakers and the secondary research Christian talked about with the group's members who themselves are open banking experts from many of the world's leading institutions and consultancies in the space. And the process was really designed to be reusable. So members, and in this case, listeners like yourselves, could duplicate it internally in your own orgs and come up with your own customized list if you want to. The way that we did it was by guiding participants to break down the question into more easily answerable parts. The first centered around what problems are large enough to be monetizable, which we looked at from the perspective of customers, FIs internally, and TPPs, the request of the data in this context. And for each of these, we provided some prompts to the participants as thought starters. For example, for customers, what kind of banking or accounting frustrations and costs do these customers deal with? Or what reasons have historically caused them to switch financial providers? For FIs, questions like, uh, are there any expensive or inefficient customer acquisition, servicing, or compliance costs you deal with that might be reduced. For TPPs, do they need a better API service than the mandated minimums? Or is there cleaning or classification or labeling of data that would be valuable and which is expensive or impractical for them to do themselves? In the second exercise, we challenged the group by asking what data is available not just what's mandated, but what could also be made available possibly for an additional fee, as Christian was talking about earlier, and what data could be derived by summarizing or analyzing the raw information to make it more valuable. We looked at this from the perspective of consumer data, business data, and in this case, data from business clients, and metadata, which is data about data or derived data. And we challenged the group to think about first data that they're Oracle today, but also data that's available from other sources that their org doesn't hold today, but could potentially be made available. For example, to a closed loop legal database, that's an important part of financial processes. Then we, we asked them to look at uh, derived data from raw information that, that's mandated, such as extracting proof of income from account transaction data. In the third exercise, we asked the group to brainstorm how the identified data assets in exercise two could be used to help solve the identified problems in exercise one and do this in ways that could be practically monetized. It again was broken to get down into three categories, selling premium APIs to TPPs, new internal data uses, or charging the client directly, which again ties to the hierarchy of, of use cases that Christian mentioned earlier. And it's much clearer if you read the report which uh, I'm sure we'll be providing a link to later. And uh, in the case of charging clients directly, most of the discussion centered around business as the clients here, because usually with a business, if you could save them a dollar or make them an extra dollar, they're usually happy to pay some percentage of that to make it happen. Consumers are a little bit less willing to, to pay extra money for this type of thing. 
some of the thought starters that we provide to the group are, can we save TPPs time and money on having to process the data that they get? Can this data be used in ways that reduce cost for us or our clients? Or could we use it to deepen our customer relationship or otherwise improve our service to them? There's a lot more to the results than we could realistically share in the podcast, I think. So we, we definitely recommend reading that report. But uh, Christian, why, why don't we together share some of the interesting takeaways here? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, to, to, to the point about the data, I think one of the, the most uh, important findings was actually the the vast amount of data available. I mean, in some ways, it's not surprising that banks hold a lot of data. And of course, that has been on the strategic agenda of most uh, banks and FIs for, for years. Uh, all of the data, the new oil discussions have been ongoing for years. But but it, it seems like open banking uh, and some of the internal use cases of open banking is maybe finally a way to crack uh, open the business case of actually monetizing some of the data that the that the banks uh, hold, and and I think uh, that was also one of the the very uh, uh, big aha moments I, I guess for 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 all of us in the group was when we realized that when we talk about open banking, it's not necessarily just about opening the bank towards the external. Uh, parties, but it's it is equally opening the bank internally because banks are inherently siloed, and especially when it comes to data. So breaking down those silos and creating open banking just within one bank could actually realize quite a, a lot of interesting use cases and business cases. So that that was definitely the the, the biggest find uh, for for me personally, I would say in 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 this process. Yeah, I, I agree. That's a great point, Christian. I, I think um, in some cases, uh, our experience uh, in the industry sometimes works against us in the sense that a lot of this stuff in, in the old pre-open banking world just wasn't possible because there was too much friction or regulation or or risk just managing this this data and the privacy around it. And so when you take away those, those barriers, uh, we, we have to force ourselves to think a little bit differently, to be open to to the new roads that are, are available to us in, in envisioning the future and products and ways to bring value. Yeah, and and that also brings the whole discussion beyond uh, open banking, just meaning access to uh, data and access to payment initiation. It is actually paving the, the um, laying the foundation for open finance or even embedded finance. So, so that by enabling access to data and to processes, you you can you can make, or you can you can build the infrastructure that you need to fully embed some of these processes into other products and processes. And I think that is uh, is very much part of the transformative uh, journey that open banking is uh, is, is is starting or, or helping catalyze for for many of the member banks here. Absolutely, uh, where my head's kind of going on that is. Maybe maybe we should give them the listeners a few examples so that we're not talking only at high level. So some of the ones that kind of came up uh, that that I personally found very interesting, and maybe you have some others, Christian, was first of all the idea of, of reusing pre-validated KYC packages. Uh, I think most institutions spend a tremendous amount of time and overhead uh, first gathering, then validating and managing all of the back office around KYC. 
And so if, if that could just become almost one button, one, one click simple, where you, you've got a KYC package that's already been validated and is meeting all of the government requirements, that, that can be massive savings. Uh, there's also opportunity around reduced form filling overhead and populating known data about clients when they're getting a new product. And, and generally making a lot of these processes self-serve. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 again, there is both the internal and external uh, part of uh, of of that because internally there is the yeah sort of cross pollination uh, across different uh, silos or business lines within the bank, but there is also the opportunity to sell some of these services to third parties who would then improve their efficiency by reducing the the onboarding uh, complexity reducing the the need to fill out forms and and provide data and and such so so i yeah i, I think you're you're absolutely right there was some of the the the, the very tangible uh, use cases that uh, that uh, were discussed uh, in in the meetings yeah it's uh i think one of the the biggest insights uh for me out of this exercise is just how much more opportunity there is than i think almost all of us expected going into it. Uh, between all of these different business models and different ways to derive and augment the value of existing data, the, the, if we kind of take a, a first principle step back and look at all of the different ways this data is being used today and, and the many billions of dollars of value, be it in, in simpler accounting or advisory services that it's being used for today, that, that's still a small, small fraction of all the different use cases that data could be applied to, but simply hasn't because the friction's been so high. And so th this is really unlocking a whole new world. And one of the things that, that excites me the most is, is when, when does the ecosystem get to that hockey stick moment, you know, where it stops being about uh, just regulatory compliance and starts being about almost a gold rush to these new opportunities. But, but the compliance, part uh, it certainly has the advantage uh, when uh, some of our uh, members of, of the working group who are typically in business development functions and and when they are seeking funding uh, for their projects it's it's so much easier for them to to get funding for the compliance projects uh, both the ones where actually building the apis is a part of a compliance exercise but also back to the point about enabling uh, easier, easier access to internal data about other compliance requirements uh, where the open access or internal open access could uh, could facilitate much easier and 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 cheaper and less error prone uh, compliance reporting so uh, that could uh, basically justify uh, some of the investments uh, being made uh, and and we could see from some of the members that uh, that was uh, that was quite good ammunition, so to speak, in their internal organizations in order for them to justify the investments uh, that uh, that they would like to see done into the, the open banking uh, uh, development that they were doing. Yeah, that, that, that's a great point. Uh, things look great on paper, but we actually have to get all the support and, and the building to make it work, right? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, maybe maybe a final conclusion from from my side was also uh, the the fact that some of these, um, I mean, even though that we have discussed lots of different use cases, lots of different ideas, uh, the the actual risk uh, of implementing these were surprisingly uh, small because it could be taken as a stepwise approach 
you, you didn't need to do any big bang in investments or big bang deployments to start harvesting uh, the benefits uh, or start reaping the benefits of, uh, of of the investments that you were doing into the to the whole open banking space. So I think that was very encouraging for the members that, okay, we could actually get started fairly easy, uh, fairly quickly, and we can even document that uh, this can be done. And uh, here are the savings that uh, that we could achieve or here are the goals that we could achieve. Um, so I think we, we helped our members uh, and colleagues uh, uh, accelerate uh, their in-house development. Yeah, just one uh, parting thought. The amount of information and, and the examples we were able to provide here is only a very small part of what is in the full report. So we definitely recommend that everybody listening go and take a look at that. If you like the depth that we covered here, there's way more for you to take from over there. Great. Thank you both. Uh, and, and just to continue on that, uh, there's way more depth than in the discussions in the expert group than there are in the report. So um, thank you, thank you, Mark and Christian, for giving a glimpse into the kind of discussions that um, uh, happen in the Mobile Forum expert groups. Uh, this is very interesting, and as, as uh, was mentioned many times, the report is available on the Mobile Forum website, uh, and it's free to download. Um, and of course, Mobile Forum is open for any innovative banks or uh, solution providers who are interested in being a part of this these discussions. So please get in touch with us if you're interested in joining. Thank you again, Christian and Mark, and thank you everyone for listening. Um, speak too soon.